Thank you for listening to the podcast of Antioch Church, a Christian community in Bend, Oregon, being formed by the story of a God who is making all things new, including us. You can learn more at antiochchurch.org. Thanks for listening. Good morning. How are we doing? Great. So glad to be with you guys here today. It's a beautiful Sunday. You know, a lot of you have reached out to congratulate me on Baylor's win yesterday. So I want to say thank you for that. All the messages, all the congratulations. I am glad that one team that wears green and yellow won this weekend, okay? Oh, oh, right? Okay. So here's the thing about that joke. My wife told me to say that one, and she's like really nice and kind and sweet. So when she told me that joke, I was like, I love you so much for you coming up with that. So good weekend all around. And I'm, I didn't say it before. My name is Sean, one of the pastors on our team. And I'm glad to be spending some time together here on this second Sunday of Advent. We're going to continue on engaging with the church calendar. And Pete talked about this last week about where we are currently and where we're heading as we begin this new church year. We are in this season of Advent, which is not the same as Christmas. They are two distinct seasons. We tend to combine them together, but they are distinct from one another. Advent is a season in which we actively anticipate God's arrival in our world. It's characterized by expectant waiting. It's a journey of preparation. Similar to the journey of Lent to Easter, it's how we commemorate God coming as the light of the world and overcoming the darkness. Pete also talked about that Advent has a threefold nature of past, present, and future, that this is uh, the time between the times. We know that God has come into the world through Jesus. We know that he is coming back, and we are here in the middle, in the already but not yet. So Advent is this in-between time where we know that God has come, but things are not fully as they should be. And Advent causes us to ask ourselves, how do I live in this time between the times? As, as I'm waiting for things to be put right, I know that they are not as they should be. How do I live? How am I present? And yes, we know that Advent is, is characterized by waiting, but we all tend to wait differently. Maybe you're someone who waits expectantly. You're, you're waiting for the curtain to come up on the show. You're excited to perform, or maybe you have a dinner guest coming over. You can't wait. You wait expectantly for what is to come. But maybe you're the type of person who dreads waiting, or you dread what's going to come after the waiting. You've been waiting on a diagnosis. You've been waiting to get a call back from that job that you interviewed with. You might not have that hopeful type of waiting. We all do it differently, and we've all had this experience of waiting in this COVID pandemic. I mean, Advent speaks to this, that as we've thought about here in this COVID reality that we live in, Advent recognizes that darkness comes. It is going to come, but we can wait in the midst of the darkness because we know that dawn is coming. So as we move on in this journey of Advent, again on the second Sunday of Advent, we're going to continue on focusing in the Old Testament and prophetic texts that are included in the lectionary. Our text today comes from the book of Malachi, which is not anybody's favorite book of the Bible, okay? We don't talk about it that much, doesn't come up that often. It's literally the last book in the Old Testament. It's a part of a group of books known as the Minor Prophets. 
just to give you some context for where we are in the history of Israel and the Israelites, we're going to nerd out just for about 30 seconds, but 587 BC, the Israelites were conquered by the Babylonians. The temple was destroyed and they were taken into captivity. About 50 years after that, Cyrus the Great conquered Babylon and allowed the Jewish people to return home. Within about 20 years, 25 years from that time, the second temple was constructed in Jerusalem. We learn about that in the books of Ezra, Nehemiah, other minor prophets. And this recounting that happens in the book of Malachi takes place in this second temple period. It's about 100 years after the Jewish people have returned home from their Babylonian exile. Even though the temple has been rebuilt, been rebuilt, things are not going super well for the Israelites. So that's kind of where we are in the larger picture with the Israelites. I'm going to read the text one more time, and then we're going to find, see where we are in the book of Malachi. The text says this, I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. Then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant whom you desire will come, says the Lord Almighty. But who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? For he will be like a refiner's fire or a launderer's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. He will purify the Levites and refine them like gold and silver. Then the Lord will have men who will bring offerings in righteousness, and the offerings of Judah and Jerusalem will be acceptable to the Lord as in days gone by, as in former years. So I'm sure that this passage is a personal favorite for many of you, maybe a life verse tattooed on your back or something. Everybody loves talking about fire and purification. It's a strange passage. We get that. But it does speak to the helpful work of the lectionary that we're talking about passages that we wouldn't normally spend a lot of time talking about. And in actuality, I bet that you may have heard this passage a few times without even knowing it. Are there any Handel's Messiah fans in the audience? Yes, seven of us. Great. Okay. <laughs> Woo, we're going to hang out later. Well, this passage is featured prominently in one of the opening sections of that monumental and historical piece that we always play at Christmas time. And so what I'd like to do is I'd like to invite the band back up. Uh, they're going to play Handel's. You guys want to, can you? No, okay, you can't do that. Okay. I'm hearing we're about 50 violins short, an entire symphony, but it is absolutely an epic piece. And so let's watch a short clip of the Australian symphony, Sydney symphony playing Handel's Messiah. All right, that's probably good. 
Okay, so that's Handel's Messiah. But I don't know if you guys caught the words that they were saying there. That first section, it comes from verse two. They say, who may abide the day of his coming? Who shall stand when he appeareth? For he is like a refiner's fire. And that second part comes from verse three when they say, and he shall purify the sons of Levi, or as we read, the Levites, that they may offer unto the Lord an offering in righteousness. So whether you knew it or not, you may have already been a big fan of this passage in Malachi. Now we're jumping into the book in chapter three, so it's helpful to know what we've missed throughout the rest of the story. As we mentioned before, the Israelites come back from captivity, things not going very well. Their hopes had been high with when they'd rebuild the temple. They thought, you know, the Messiah will come imminently after that. You know, God will vanquish Israel's enemies. The evildoers will be gone from the earth and we will prosper. But it turns out that the Israelites who repopulated Israel were just as unfaithful to God as those who had been taken into captivity. They have questionable worship practices. They offer up lame, blind, and sick animals for their offerings. They have shady leadership from the priests. They're not generous. They are stingy with their resources. And the way that this book is set up is almost in a question and answer format. It's very different from the other prophetic books we read and we see and we hear about because the audience was very actively responding to the preaching of the messenger. They would often interject. They would interrupt. They would make excuses for what the preacher, what the messenger was saying. So if you want to do that today, I'm giving you permission. Interrupt. We make excuses. It reads differently than a lot of the other parts of scripture, but it goes like this. God, through the messenger, he makes a claim. Then the people, as we often do, we disagree with that claim. And then God responds and kind of, you know, shuts the club down, offers up the final word. And oftentimes both the messenger and the people make these disputes and claims in the forms of questions. They've already asked several questions throughout this text of how does God love us? Is it not truly one God? How do we get back to God? This book of Malachi has 55 verses in total and has 22 questions inside of it. And the last verse in chapter 2 is what triggers the response in verse 1 of our text in chapter 3 today. The people ask the question, where is the God of justice? Where is the God of justice? We see all of these evildoers that are prospering and you are not doing anything about it. And you're the so-called God of justice. Where are you? And while their tone and way of asking the question could certainly use some work, we do see in this question and in this book of Malachi overall with its 22 different questions is the importance of questions. Elie Wiesel is a Nobel Prize winning Jewish author. He wrote a book called Night, which is what he won the Nobel Prize for, and other books that detail his experience in the Holocaust, detail his experience in concentration camps. And he tells a story about his childhood that uh, when he was a young boy at school, his mom would greet him every day when he returned from school. And every single day, she would ask him the same thing, the exact same question. She didn't ask him, how was school today? She didn't ask him, what did you learn? Did you make any friends? Every day that Ellie returned home from school, his mom would ask, did you have a good question today? Every single day, she would say, did you have a good question today? 
because she knew that the secret to deep and experiential learning lies in asking good questions. And that's what this book of Malachi teaches us too, that the questions asked by Malachi and the people were relevant then and they are just as relevant today. That the prophet used questions as a means of prophetic revelation to counter the lofty certitude of these overly religious people. It's especially relevant where we find ourselves today because of much of what we experience in Advent comes back to questions. Questions that we ask and questions that Advent asks of us. We ask the questions of when will Jesus be coming back? When will things be set right? How long do I have to wait for an answer to this prayer, God? And are you listening? Are you with me in the waiting? Do you hear me? Do you see me? Advent invites us to ask questions that are raw and messy, but it also asks questions of us. Advent, it questions our readiness. Are we truly prepared and ready for the arrival of the Savior of the world? Are we willing to stay focused on Jesus when there are so many other distractions and things that vie for our attention? Advent asks us whether we care about just as much about injustice as much as seasonal anxiety or busyness or year-end bonuses. Advent asks us whether we truly care about the foreigner, the stranger, the unwed mother, or the baby that needs a support system because these good questions reveal deep truths about God and ourselves. And again, the, the big question of this passage is, where is the God of justice? The people are skeptical of God's justice because of their alleged practices of piety are not delivering the results that they want. They're not being rewarded and the evil people are not being punished. The equation that they've set up for God is not formulating properly. And the response from God to this question is that a messenger will come to prepare the way for the Lord. And we'll talk about that more in just a moment, but that the God of justice will come and be revealed but that the people might want to be careful what they wish for. Their question of God's justice comes at the same time that they've been scolded again for questionable worship practices. They have immoral sexual and marital ethics. They've perpetuated social injustice among the people. So yes, God will come, but the text asks this question is who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? Are you sure you want that to happen? And this theme of the day of judgment or the day of the Lord is a theme throughout scripture. It rarely meets human expectations and we often see people clamoring for it when they don't truly understand what it means. In another prophetic book, in the book of Amos, it talks about the day of judgment as being as much a judgment against the ones yearning for it as a judgment against their enemies. The verse immediately following our text today gives us some insight as to how this judgment and execution of God's justice plays out. The text says this, so I will come to put you on trial. I will be quick to testify against sorcerers, adulterers, and perjurers, against those who defraud laborers of their wages, who oppress the widows and the fatherless, and deprive the foreigners among you of justice but do not fear me, says the Lord Almighty. Fun stuff, huh? 
come to church, they said. It's Christmas. Have a nice, uplifting message. Whoopsies. <laughs> the God of justice is saying that those who perpetuate social injustice in this world or even sit idly by, he's not having it. He's not having it. And I don't know if that makes you feel uncomfortable. It does for me a little bit. But I have some good news. What we see in this passage and throughout the big picture of scripture is that God's justice and judgment is not to be understood as punitive. It's restorative, not retributive. It's reconciling, not condemning. So let's see how. Jumping back in the text, it says, for he will be like a refiner's fire or a launderer's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. So when we hear this question of, of who can stand when he appears, we might be like, yes, we want to stand and see that day. We want our lives to be pleasing to the Lord. We want to see restoration. We are generally pro-justice. We want to see things made right. But what did you say about a refining fire? I mean, about purification? We might have joy thinking about things being set right, but we have apprehension about what it takes to get there. Sure, I want all of those good things to happen, but do I really have to go through a refining fire? Do I have to change my life? Do I have to you know, take a bath, right? Even though the imagery is, is funny and a bit unsettling, it is actually really good news for us. The first reason why is that what happens is because of what happens in this refining process, that impurities are removed. The substance that is being refined is strengthened. It's much stronger than when it started. Without the refining process, the substance is much weaker and worse off. And I am no chemist. I am no metal worker. But I did some research into specifically what the silver purifying process looks like. Here's what I learned. That the raw silver, it's, it's treated with carbon or charcoal, which prevents the absorption of oxygen and results in that purity and that shiny sheen that we know of with silver. But that a true silversmith knows that the refining process is only complete when they observe their own image reflected in the mirror-like surface of the metal. So then if our passage today, if God is the silversmith, if God is the refiner, he will work to refine in us until he sees his own image in us. That through this process of refining, the divine image is reflected more truly in the human heart. And the other good news we see is that, again, this is a somewhat intimidating and refining, this refining process, is that God wants to do it at all. I mean, what if God were to say, I am going to come and I am going to put you on trial and nobody can stand. You are all guilty. Too bad, right? Instead, God doesn't stay far off. He comes to be with us. He comes to invite us into a bigger and better story because what this passage also does is it foreshadows the Christmas story and the coming and the birth of Jesus while our passage in Malachi certainly refers to a messenger in that present time, it's not only reflecting a present messenger, but a future messenger to come. Again, we're focusing on these Old Testament passages in our lectionary as our primary sermon text, but uh, there are a few other texts within the lectionary. You heard one earlier with the Sunbergs, but 
There are two other texts today that both come from the Gospel of Luke, and they talk about our longtime friend of the program, John the Baptist, or John the Baptizer. Luke 1, 68 through 79 is known as Zechariah's song, which is kind of like Mary's song, but the dad version about John the Baptist, okay? And in Zechariah's song, he talks about the coming Savior, but he also talks about the role that John will play in the fulfillment of the scriptures. Again, we heard that specific text said earlier, but it prophesies that John will be a messenger and a forerunner, one who prepares the way for the Messiah, that he will lay the foundation for the message of Jesus to be fulfilled. Similarly, in Luke 3, we see John out in the wilderness proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins, quoting Old Testament prophecy from Isaiah, talking about preparing the way of the Lord again. He specifically mentions Isaiah, but he is also fulfilling the prophecy that comes from our text today in Malachi, that God will make it clear that he will send a messenger who will prepare the way for him to come as Jesus. So with this kind of strange passage that we are reading just a few weeks before Christmas, and we're not sure how it all fits in, how do we put it all together? All this talk of judgment and fire and purification and refining, what are we to do? Whether you needed permission or not, I think that this passage in the book of Malachi as a whole certainly invites us into asking good questions of God. There's an idea that's permeated certain evangelical circles, certainly here in the United States, that true faith comes with certainty, that doubts are dangerous, that feeling unsure or uneasy about certain aspects of faith or even uneasy about God is a warning sign. Something worse is going to come. But if you ask me and you ask Ellie Wiesel's mom, you'll experience God more deeply and richly the more good questions that you ask in your prayers and the more good questions that you ask with your life. And when it comes to the day of the Lord or the day of judgment and being put on trial, the more good questions I've asked about that idea, I've experienced a bit of a rethinking. That what if the day of the Lord is less about God asking us if we've abstained from sin and more about God asking us how we partnered with him in his work in the world, of how we pursued justice, of how we understood God's love for us so deeply that we shared that love through practical action in the world. I mean, if you look at that list in verse 5 of of being put on trial, the accusations that God talks about all come back to that work of justice. He talks about unfair labor practices. He talks about not taking care of widows, not taking care of those who are without parents, of making life difficult for foreigners and immigrants. In the New Testament, Jesus talks about the infamous sheep and goats in Matthew 25. Again, talking about this day of judgment. He questions the people who are even in that text described as righteous. says, I don't know you. How have you been involved in the work of justice? How have you fed the hungry? How have you taken care of the stranger? How have you looked after those who are in prison? That was the measure of truly being in a relationship with Jesus. Now, I don't know about you, but a favorite Christmas song in the Del Bacaro household is Oh Holy Night. You guys know this one? You know Oh Holy Night? You like that one? Okay, okay, two of us, great. So, O Holy Night, it was written in France in the 1840s, and the inspiration for this song comes from the Gospel of Luke. Now, this song, uh, after it was 
I don't know, guess you can't say released, like it wasn't on Spotify. After they started singing it, it was deemed too divisive because its writer's politics and spirituality weren't up to snuff and because of some of its now more famous lines, like chains shall he break for the slave is our brother or in his name all oppression shall cease. It got pretty much canceled by the church at the time. It didn't regain popularity until it was translated into English in the United States by a minister who was a staunch abolitionist. It became an abolitionist anthem, and you can bet that it received criticism that it was too political. It was too much justice. It was too divisive for church. And we can look back on that and say, how could denouncing slavery ever be too political or too divisive or too liberal or whatever. Of course we need to denounce slavery. And that only makes me wonder, what are the things 150 years from now that we'll wonder, how could that possibly be perceived as too political or too divisive to be talked about in church? Speaking out against white supremacy, lamenting our abuse of the planet and taking action. Maintaining a pro-life ethic that cares as much about babies in the womb as it does in light of this last week of keeping our kids safe in school and stopping gun violence. How could that be too political or divisive? Because we, in the reality that we see in our passage today and the reality that we see in the coming of Jesus and in the overarching narrative of scripture is one in which we are called to see the image of God in ourselves and in others and to love them because of it. When Jesus talks about the final judgment, he doesn't mention the Ten Commandments or church attendance or accepting him into your heart. He makes it a matter of seeing. For it is only through Jesus that we can stand in that day. And Jesus tells us that those who know him see the image of God in others and serve them and serve the works of justice. As we lit the candle of love today, we recognize that love has come into the world through the person of Jesus, and we are invited to deeply experience that love and extend it to others. Reinhold Niebuhr was a prominent pastor and theologian for much of the last century and might not like his politics either, but he puts it succinctly when he says, love is the motive, but justice is the instrument. Over and over and over again, we see in Scripture God's love for us and our expectations that God has for us of how we are to live out of that love through the practical work of justice. And to be very clear, this text is not an opportunity to attack enemies or to point out all the things that some imagined they or other are doing wrong. Rather, we are the ones who are being refined. We are the ones who need to be refined. We are the ones who are going to be refined because it is sure. Restoration and refining is sure. It will happen under God's control and in God's time. We'll be reformed in the image of God and it will be good. The refining process in us is God revealing the image of God that is inside of us. But the refining process can't stop there because we must continue to find the image of God in others, which leads to that practical work of serving and justice. As the Imago Dei is fully restored in us through this process and God sees himself in us, we encounter him even in the waiting. We encounter him even in the questions and the good questions especially. And we begin to see the image of God, not only in ourselves, but others. 
So Antioch family, in this season of waiting that we find ourselves in, as we ask ourselves, what will we do in this in-between time, this already but not yet? May we be a people who recognize and live into and out of the love of God through the work of justice and a deep seeing of those around us. Now, Pastor Linda is going to come up and lead us through the practice of communion.